Hey, welcome to Sunday Messages. We pray this message inspires and encourages you to go deeper in an overflowing relationship with Jesus. We are in this series, Our Identity in Christ, and really the kind of the big idea of this series is this idea that if we want to be faithful, fruitful, kind of all-in followers of Jesus that we talked about kind of in our all-in series, if we want to live that way, then our identity has to be rooted and established in Christ alone. This is sort of the, the overarching theme or the kind of the big idea that's driving this series. Talked a little bit of last week. If you missed it, we, we, were just, we just kind of opened up the idea of what it is to have our identity in Christ. But years ago, the, the um, uh, ther- theorist and um, psychologist Eric Erickson, he coined, that's a cool name, eh? Can you imagine Eric Erickson? Eric Erickson. He coined a term that the term we know, a lot of us know now as identity crisis. And uh, it's, he believed that it was one of the most important conflicts that people faced in human development, that no one can escape it, we all have to go through it to some degree. And according to Erickson, an identity crisis is a type of, or a time of intense analysis and exploration of different and even competing ways of looking at ourselves, of looking at oneself. And if we were to take a step back, and give our, allow ourselves to kind of have, have an honest perspective of kind of what we see going on, not just in this generation, but really around the world globally, we realize that we are in an, an elongated identity crisis. There is an identity crisis that is, is happening all around the world. Now, I'm not a psychologist, and I'm not going to be able to unpack this to the great depth, but just really quickly, four things that I could see that kind of feed this identity crisis that we are navigating. One of this is just the idea that the world has gotten large. It is large. We're like almost 8, eight billion people, estimates say. But not only are we are getting larger, we're actually becoming more individualistic, which is creating this, this sense of identity crisis. Because in a world of 8 billion people, many of us are looking, who am I? They're, they're, they're ide- they don't know who they are in the grand scheme of others. Secondly, we see in what psychologists are calling this extended adolescence. Extended adolescence where psychologists and emotional development, psychological and emotional development rather, the stages that used to just happen in the teens have now been pushed into the early, mid, late 20s, even into the 30s, where they are developing physically quicker at a higher rate, but psychologically and emotionally are developing at a slower rate and which is creating this tension point, this, this gap that is just trailing behind previous generations. I mean, Jewish culture, every time we read about Jesus, like you're a, you're a man at 13. You have childhood at, you can live up to a kid until 12, but at 12, at 13, you're, you're, you're considered an adult. You know, we don't, we don't do that anymore. We also see that there is a, the, 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 we're living in the age of postmodern deconstructionism. The absolutes of this world, you, you know, we can see this, have been eroded. There is no absolutes anymore. They've been eroded over the last century. Many things that we thought were absolutes have been attacked from our society. The framework in which many of us have built our life and our identity within have been eroded. And this generation is left floundering trying to figure something out with no sense of foundation to build upon. People have eroded even the fact that God's word and God is creator. I mean, they find themselves asking where we can find some kind of cornerstone. What can I build my life upon and help understand who I am and my identity? And the last thing we see, this, uh, the age and the rise of social media and the false positive messages it promotes. 
Right? Many of us have been, uh, have, have been on the tail end of this and exasperating the identity crisis in many. We, we're, we're, people are basing their identity on their social, their social acceptance. My identity is based on my social acceptance, on people that I don't know and will never know who I really am beyond this screen, but I, I'm validated by how many followers and likes I achieve. We, we are flooded with people around the world showing us their vacations and their smiles and their, their luxuries and their weight loss and their happiness and their perfect, their perfect lives. And then we look at ourselves and we wonder, where did I go wrong? You know, where, I mean, we, 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 get, we get lost in this. We're like, where did we miss the mark? Who am I in comparison to them? And we forget that nobody posts the bad moments, right? See, there is a concerted effort. And again, I don't want to get too heavy, but I do think we need to, we are, we are in church, and we're going to talk spiritual things, but there is a concerted effort of darkness to distort and confuse identity. Like, can we just understand that? Like, this isn't just happening. This isn't just like, we woke up to it, we're all, we all got dealt a short straw or short stick. No, no, there is a concerted effort. There is a spiritual attack that is against the identity and understanding that is, co- that is causing distortion and confusion on the identity. And Satan knows that if we don't understand who we are, Satan knows if we don't understand whose we are, then we will never fully live out on our purpose and we will never fully live out in victory. We will always be confused and we will always be in crisis. And that's his goal, right? That's his goal. And so what we, are, what we understand is that as followers of Jesus, as believers in Jesus, it is so important that we understand that where our identity comes from, that our identity is rooted and established and maintained and held in Christ alone. We have an identity in him. We are God's children filled with purpose and a promise. And, and, it's, and this promise is because of his great love for us, and the only way that we will ever know who we really are, who we really are, is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why, honestly, if you've been coming to our church for any length of time now, you realize that my main goal in life as your pastor is to get each and every one of you to read your Bible and pray every day. I stand up here 52... I stand up here 52 plus weeks a year for that one goal, that you would engage in a personal relationship with Jesus, that you'd want to read his word and have a conversation with him and allow him to speak to you and challenge you every day. That's the goal. There's no hidden agenda. I'm just trying to tell you that 52 different ways. Every year. It's exhausting. (laughs) That's the goal. That, that's the heart, right? It's not, it's not just do, come, sit in church, check off a box. Is that you would actually grow in this person so you know who you are in Christ, that the Spirit of God would speak to you. And so today, as we continue in this dialogue, I'm going to kind of, there's three thoughts that we're going to kind of work through this morning. And if you're taking notes, all of our notes are in the Version app. Uh, if you follow the Version Bible app, you can go to their events. You can see our, the Harvard Church. You can see all of our notes. You can save them. Take notes and save them for later, but they're on the screen here if you want to follow along. 
But there's three thoughts. The three thoughts we're going to work through, I'm going to give you them all up front, and then we're going to work through them one by one, is this, is this how we see God impacts how we see ourselves. That actually how we see God definitely impacts then how we see ourselves. And then how we see ourselves then impacts how we live. And we kind of touched on this last week, and we're going to circle back on this because I think it's important. And then how we live then reflects in turn how we see God. So this is, if we want to understand kind of the big block, the framework that we're working through, this is the framework we're going to work through. So again, how we see God impacts how we see ourselves, how we see ourselves impacts how we live, and then how we live reflects how we see God. So let's look at number one, how we see God impacts ourselves, how we see ourselves. In his letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul prays this prayer, and it's a prayer actually as I've been, the more I've been studying it, the more I've been sitting in it, it really is the prayer of a pastor for his people. You know, Paul was a pastor. He, he, I know he was, an, he was an apostle, and he was, he was planting churches, but really he left his heart in every church that he planted, and he was always writing letters back to those churches that he planted to make sure that they were still following in the words and the ways of Jesus, they were staying true. Like his, he had a pastor's heart for his people. And really, this is the pastor, this is his prayer. This is the, the prayer of a pastor to the people in the church of Ephesus. And we see it in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 17 in, Ephes in Ephesians. And he writes this. He says, I keep asking that the Lord of our, the, the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may continue to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. Like, this is just a prayer. That you would know him better, not through intellectual conversations or not through, through other, other sources and other mediums and other individuals, but that actually the Spirit of God himself would give you a revelation and would give you wisdom to know him better. Like that you would be revealed through the Spirit of God. Jesus says he stands at the door and knocks. If anyone opens, he receives them. You, he's saying, would you open the door and let the presence of God flood your heart? Would you give him a chance? I'm praying that you would give the Spirit of God a chance to reveal himself to you, that you would know him well. And what a prayer. That's our prayer, right? And then he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. What, what is this hope that he's talking about? We, we know that we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. It is firm and secure no matter how the storms of, of, of life rage against us and beat against our life. We know we're held anchor. What's this hope? Well, it's this perspective. We talked about it last week. It's a secured future. It's our promised eternity. We have this hope that's an anchor for our soul. I want you to know the hope, even in the hardship, that you have a hope that you're called to. It says the riches of this glorious inheritance in the, of his holy people and his holy people. Remember, listen, there's a, there's a rich inheritance for God's people. You are your king's kids. There's something that's different about you. There's, there's something that's being deposited to you because of being adopted into the fellowship of the family of God. And I love this. In his incomparably great power, his incomparably great power, that is for us who believe. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is available and lives with inside of you and me. 
And this is Paul's prayer. I, he says, I pray that you would get a revelation, that you would get an understanding, that you would be enlightened, that you would see it, that you wouldn't just hear about it passively. It wouldn't just be dismissed. You wouldn't just dismiss it as common or ordinary, but there would be something that transpires in your heart that gives you a personal revelation that you cannot ignore. Because here's the thing, church, unless you and I get this personal revelation, we will easily dismiss it. Because it's just another thing. But what Paul's praying here is, I pray that there'll be a, you'll get it, be enlightened, but you'll, you'll, you'll have this revelation, the spirit of wisdom, revelation to know him better. What is he saying? Here's the thought. He said, when we get a revelation of who Jesus is, we gain a, better, we gain a per, new perspective of who we are. When we gain a, a revelation of who Jesus is, then we gain a new perspective of who we are. Let's look at this a little bit further. Let's look at it in the life of Peter. Many of us know the, the disciple named Peter who was hot-headed. He was, he was the fiery dart. He was always running the first into the burning building like this guy wanted to make a difference. He was eager for Christ. Peter was part of Jesus' inner circle. And, and at one point in the journey, Jesus takes them to this place called Caesarea Philippi which is in north of Galilee. And again, we don't, if many of us never been there, I've never been there, but I just, from what I'm researching, this is a pagan part of the city. And in this part, there is this large cave called Beneus. And really what it is, the Greek, in Greek mythology, this, this large opening or this large cave in this part of the town represented spiritual Darkness. It, it was, it seemed that this place, this in Greek mythology, it was an opening to the underworld. In, in fact, it was the, the gates of hell in Greek mythology. And it seems weird that Jesus kind of takes his disciples to this place. He, he goes around the Sea of Galilee in Jerusalem out of the way to this place. And it's in this place of extreme ideology an idolatry, rather, that Jesus asks his disciples who the people say he is. And be familiar with this. Who do, who do you say I am? See, Jesus didn't have a problem with his identity. You know, he wasn't asking. He was like, well, who am I? You know, he wasn't having one of those identity crisis moments. He knew who he was from the time he was a child. We don't get a lot of insight on Jesus' childhood life, but there's a few moments, one when he was 12 years old and he was lost, and his mom and dad found him in the temple. And he says, why were you, I was about my father's business. We realized that Jesus understand, understood his identity. But in this moment, he wanted his disciples to get a better understanding of their identity in him. And so he was engaging a conversation. And we pick up in his story in Matthew's gospel, chapter, verse, chapter 16, verse 15, and he, we continue in this conversation. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter is our friend, Peter. He said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my father who was in heaven. What happened here? The spirit of wisdom and revelation right? Flooded his heart. And he knew who Jesus was, right? He's saying, listen, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, meaning this was not convinced to you by man, but the Spirit of God told you who I was. You had a revelation. And I love this. And then we see this turn. And I tell you, remember, he was Simon now. You are Peter. You are Peter. And on this rock, 
I will build my church, and remember, and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. He's speaking to the moment. He's speaking to where they are at. He's speaking to the, the large powers that seem to be the stronghold of the culture. He says, no, no, not even the gates of hell will prevail against my plan for you. In this moment, supernaturally, Peter's eyes were opened and he had a fresh revelation of who Jesus was and a new perspective of who he was in Christ. The name Simon means reed, translated reed. And he goes from a reed to a rock. He goes from Simon to Peter. No longer is your identity gonna be in crisis, but your identity is gonna be built on a solid rock. And not even the gate of hell, the gates of hell, will overcome it. I was thinking about cross-referencing this idea of, of what Jesus tells the people after he just preaches the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 24. He says, and those who hear these words of mine and put them into practice are like the wise men who built their house on the rock. You see, when we get a revelation of who Jesus is, it gives us something that we can build our identity upon. It gives us a firm foundation in which we can build our life upon and our identity upon. We're not building our life on quicksand or on a reed that is shaking and blowing in the wind, but on Christ, the solid rock, we stand. And not even the gates of hell or the ideologies of this world or the, the conspiracies of this, this modern world are gonna be able to compete with the identity that you and I have in Christ. It's built on a rock. When we get a revelation of who Jesus is, we gain a new perspective of who we are. The more you know Jesus, the more you know who you are in him. This revelation not only gives us a clear picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus' purpose on earth was, but it informs our purpose on earth also. And so you and I may not get a new name change. You know, We may not have that divine moment where God changes our name, but here's what we will gain. We'll gain clarity. We're gonna gain confidence, we're gonna gain courage in our identity in Christ. We are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. As Paul tells the church in Corinth, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he's speaking now to the, not just to the present, to the church in Corinth, but to the church in the future. If you're in Christ, if you identify as a Christ follower, you are a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. You're made new in Christ. If you take a couple of verses and a little bit further up in verse 20, he says, we are, we are made new. Why? Because we are therefore now Christ's ambassadors. I love that this identity has also now given us a purpose. We're not just new because, just for new sake. You're not just new for your own glory or new for your own ability or new for your own, your own thinking, but you're made new for purpose. You're, you're made new to be a Christ's ambassador. See, how we see God impacts how we see ourselves. Secondly, we see that how we see ourselves impacts how we live. How we see God impacts how we live. We touched on this last week. We said that in Christ, our past is redeemed, our present makes sense, right, and our future is secured. But here's a question to think through, is that why do we need to be made a new creation? Like, didn't God make us already? Like, aren't we already created in the image of God? They didn't already form us in our mother's womb? Like, aren't we already created? Why, why do we need to be made a new creation? Well, Paul talks about this in Ephesians. It's a good book. You should read it. 
Ephesians 2, 1. It says, as for you, you were dead. And we understand the sinful nature, and Adam and Eve sinned against God. They brought the sinful nature into the world, that yes, while we are created in the image of God, we are also born into a sinful nature. We are born into a sinful world. That no matter how many purification ceremonies and rituals we walk through, we would never be made good enough apart from Christ. So Paul reminds us again, you, were, you, were, you weren't just bad. Like, you weren't just bad. You weren't even just evil, if that's any better. You were dead. You, you were dead in your, in your <laughs> not in somebody else's, in your transgressions and your sins. I love this, in which you used to live. That's the old self. When you follow the ways of this world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. What's he saying? Listen, when you follow Satan, which I know nobody likes to say that, so we say we follow self. I follow my own plan, my life. When you follow darkness, Paul's saying, listen, that life leads to disobedience and death. That's what he's saying. He said, all of us, right? All of us have lived at them, among them at one time. I love how Paul's just, he's grouping. He's like, this isn't you versus, this is all. This, I'm, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners, right? Like he's inviting himself into the conversation. All of us have lived this way. We read in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, doing what they want, when they want it, how they want it. So all of us have lived among them, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its evil desires and thoughts following with desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by very nature deserving wrath, right? What is, what is Romans tells us that the wages of this sin, the, the result of the sin, the consequences of this sin is death. I love this. If you've got a Bible, this is one you want to highlight, this line. But because of his great love for us. Like we were dead, we were following the, the, the cravings of our sinful nature. We were by very well deserving of wrath. But because of God's great love for us, we who are rich in mercy are made alive in Christ. Even though we were dead in our transgressions, for it is by grace that we have been saved. That while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, God died for us. So, so why, do we be made, why do we need to be made new? Why, why do we need to be a new creation? Because we were dead in our sin. And there was nothing that we could do to correct that. There, there was nothing that we could do in our own power, in our own might, in our own ability to get us in right standing with God. And so God had to send himself in the form of God the Son, in the form of Jesus, to make a way back and bring life back into what had died. I love Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53, he says, but he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was put upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. See, 1 John 3 talks a lot about that, that tells us that sin essentially is lawlessness. It is, it is opposed to God. But, but what's the difference between transgressions and iniquities? I was diving into this a little bit, and I'm, 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 there's a lot we can discuss. So I'm just going to give you the short answer, kind of a simplified version. I, I heard it described this way, which I helped me understand it a little bit, the, the immense love of God. We understand that sin 
is missing the mark. Sin is sort of like a, oops, I did it again, you know, real, real simplistically. Like, I didn't mean to do that. Some of us, were, we are born into a sinful nature, right? Like, we are born in sinful nature. Many of us fall short of the moral mark. We miss the moral mark. No matter how hard we try, we make mistakes. We fall short. We, we, we say what we didn't want to say. We do what we didn't want to do. We miss the mark. We have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And God, out of his great love for us, comes down and rescues us and saves us because of our sin, our mistakes. And many of us in this room have lived out that sort of grace of God where people have hurt us accidentally and we have extended grace and we have forgiven them and we have covered their sin, right? We, someone else, they, they took, you, they took, you took the, the, the cost upon yourself and you covered their sin. And Christ did that for all of us, for all of humanity. And some of us who are nice and godly people will do that to other people. But God does bigger than that. Like God does more than that. And that's where transgressions and iniquity help us understand the weight of our sin. See, transgressions, rather, is not that I didn't mean to do that. It's actually I did mean to do that. I actually meant to hurt you. I actually meant to cross that line. I actually meant to do something that was for my benefit and not for your benefit. A transgression is, is a willing, it's a willful action. It's a willful action to cause harm and hurt. It's a willful action to be disobedient to the word and the righteousness, the works and the ways of Jesus. And so we, there's, a willingly, there's a willing action to cross the line. And iniquity, rather, then, is a step beyond that. We're left unrepentant. It's sort of this premeditated way. It's I have a unique bent towards a type of transgression. I, I have a unique bent to a type of sinful nature action that, that pulls me in a different direction. And a lot of us, have given, have built our identity on our iniquity. And we try to reclaim our iniquity as godly, but God is saying, no, 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 if you want to come to me, you've got to die, right? You've got to die to yourself. Israel's response to iniquity was, I just got to try harder. And some of us, we come into a relationship with God, we're like, I just got to try harder. I just got to do more. Maybe if I do more, then maybe it'll be right. And maybe God will see me and love me different. Said, it didn't work for them, and it doesn't work for, for us now. What, how it works is that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross, and he took upon himself the iniquities of us all. And this is the gospel news. The gospel news is because of God's great love for us, Jesus died in our place. And Jesus, upon taking upon himself all of our sin, all of our transgressions, all of our iniquities, past, present, and future. And Jesus loves you so much as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And if we accept Jesus as Lord and, and, and we embrace the new life that he offers, then here's the response, we have to then die to ourselves. We have to die to our iniquities. We have to die to our unique bent. We have to die to the phrase, I was born this way. We have to die to who we think we are apart from Christ. Jesus tells us in John 3, 3, he said, I tell you the truth, unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Doesn't matter how you came into the relationship with God. It doesn't matter who you identified with. It doesn't matter how you saw yourself. It doesn't matter if you had identified your uh, found identity in your iniquities. It doesn't matter how you saw yourself. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you have to die to yourself and allow the Spirit of God to make you born again. 
We talked about this in our series, All In, that Matthew, Matthew 16 tells us whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. If, and whoever does not take up their cross is not worthy of following me, Jesus says. And Jesus tells us, or in John, he says those, but all who believed and all who accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. How do you become a child of God? How is your identity made new in Christ? You believe and you've accepted the words, the ways, the works of Jesus. You've accepted his identity as your own. You are not forcing your identity in him and saying, just take me as I am. I love that he loves me as I am. We all love that part. We all love the acceptance line. Not so much of us like the, but now go and change. <laughs> I love you, but I love you too much to leave you the way you are. I know that's how you came to me, but that's not how you're going to leave for me. Go and sin no more. He said, you want to be a child of God? And he says, they are reborn, not with physical birth resulting in a human passion or plan. So this is not some physical thing. But there is a spirit, they are born that comes from the spirit of God, a birth that comes from God. We need to be born again into the words and the ways of Jesus. This is why my prayer for you is that you would be read your Bible and pray every day. You allow the spirit of God to make you new and grow in you. See, our struggle with identity crisis is rooted in the exploration of different and conflicting ways of looking at ourselves. We don't find our identity in our iniquity. Jesus is not an add-on to our life, right? He's not an add-on to who you once were. He says, I want to make you new. You're going to be born again. You're going to die to your old self. You're made new into your new self. And this new self is going to be framed and established and rooted and built on the words of God. So how we see God impacts how we see ourselves and how we see ourselves impacts then how we live. We are forgiven, we are healed, we are made new in Christ. We no longer defined by the way we used to live, but we have now been born. Again, thank you, Jesus, that he loved me as I was, but loved me too much to leave me the way I was. Thank you, Jesus, that his mercies are new every morning, that every morning I have an opportunity to be born again. Because I missed the mark. I've crossed the line. I've built my identity and my iniquity. I've done that. And I've tried to justify it. I should say this is who I am. It'll never change. But when we cast our cares upon Jesus, when we allow his work to do a deep work in our spirit, in our heart, he makes us new. And then how we live then reflects in return how we see God. So then how we relive, how we respond to that identity reflects how we see God. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, he says, therefore, and God raised us up with Christ. And what's he talking about? He said, remember, Christ was once dead and God raised him from the dead. Hey, you were once dead but God raised you up from the dead. You're no longer dead. You're no longer dead in yourself. You've been made new in Christ. You've been raised with Christ. And now Christ seated, on the he seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that the coming of ages he might show the comparable, incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved. It is by grace that you have been made new. Through faith, this is not from yourselves. You can't earn this. You can't do this on your own. 
You can't make your own pathway. It is, not, it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Here's a thought I just want to, as we come to a close. Is that we give glory to God by embracing and living the made new life in Christ. How, how, how do we live? How, how do we live reflects how we see God. If you want to give glory to God in every day of your life, how you, you will, we will give glory to God by embracing his grace, right? His grace that, that found us as we were, loved us as we were, loved us too much to leave us the way we were. We embrace his grace and we live this made new life in Christ. We, we allow him to make new in us. We allow him to do the work in our lives. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possessions. This is who you are. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You used to live in darkness. You used to be lost in your sin, your transgressions, your iniquity. But you've been pulled out of that by the love of Jesus, by the grace of God. And now you're children of light. Live as children of light. He says, once you were a people, but now you are a people. Once you, once you did not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. As we receive mercy, as we live in the light, Paul tell, Peter tells us that we are declaring the praises of him who called us out of darkness. We give glory to God by embracing his grace and living the made new life in Christ. When we accept and release forgiveness, we embrace the glory, we give glory to God. When we see and serve others, we give glory to God. When we know and grow in our knowledge of God's word, we give glory to God. When we remain faithful in hardships, we give glory to God. When we embrace his new mercies every day we, and live for him, we give glory to God. Now, I've been 44, been on this journey for 40-something years. And I know this is not a one-and-done thing. The main new happens in a moment, right? Salvation happens in a moment. The being made like Christ that's a daily journey. And I have to remind myself almost daily that I'm not who I used to be. That the habits and the patterns of my sinful nature, the transgressions and iniquities that want to creep themselves back into my life, they don't belong in this made new life. I gotta remind myself and I gotta, I gotta hold myself accountable to the words on the page, the words of God's spirit spoken through the word of God. I gotta hold myself accountable to that. I gotta remind myself who I am in Christ. Allow the spirit of God to do a work in me that only he can do. Renew my mind, cast my cares on him. I love Paul, Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians 3.17. It's encouragement for us. He says, now the spirit, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So this morning, you don't have to walk in the, the death cell. You don't have to walk in the, in the burden of who you used to be, but you can experience freedom this morning. You can experience freedom. If you're lost in an identity crisis, can I give you good news today? There's freedom for you. There's hope for you. 
You don't have to get stuck there. You don't have to get lost there. You don't have to, to wallow in that. You can be free. And not what I say free is, but what the Word of God says free is. What the Spirit of God says is free. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all we who have with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect the glory of God, meaning all of us who've been in the presence of God, all of us who allow the glory of God to radiate through our lives, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. We're being transformed. I love this. This is, this is an action word. Being transformed. Not, not you were transformed. Not that you will be transformed. No, you are being transformed day by day, moment by moment, prayer by prayer, submission by submission, reconciliation through reconciliation, forgiveness upon forgiveness, mercy upon mercy. You are being transformed into his likeness. You are being transformed into his image by the grace and the glory of God, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's a journey. We're made new in a moment, but we're being transformed day by day by the grace of God, for the glory of God. Amen? So here's a thought I want you to consider this morning. Where do you need the Spirit's help in transforming you into the likeness of Jesus? Every one of us are on this journey, right? So I, I'm not speaking to perfect people. <laughs> I know I want to speak to perfect people, and I know some of us think we are, but you're not. I love you anyway. So here's the honest question, and this is not a question that you need to answer to me. It's not even a question maybe you need to answer to your spouse or your friend. But this is an answer you need to ask the Spirit of God, and you need to allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. Is that where in my life, where in my identity crisis, where in my thinking, do I need the Spirit's help in transforming me into the likeness of Jesus? Because I want to be made new in Him. I want to be made into the likeness of Jesus. I want my identity to be built on the solid rock of my salvation in Christ alone. And sometimes my stinking thinking gets in the way. And I get focused on the wrong thing and I get listened to the wrong voice. I want the Spirit of God to speak to me and transform me from the inside out. Let's just close our eyes this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just thank the Lord that He loves us as we are, He loves us too much to leave us the way we are? Can we just thank the Lord this morning that while we were dead in our sin, lost in our transgressions, cursed by our iniquities. God's great love for us saw us and compelled him to do something about it. And he made a way where there was no other way. And he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross to not only give us back a relationship with the Father, but to make us new in Christ, make us alive in him. Father, we just thank you so much. I just think about my life. I just imagine who I would be apart from you, and I just, I'm so brokenhearted, God. I'm just so thankful that you saw me, that you loved me, that you gave me an opportunity to hear your name, 
and respond to you and live for you. Thank you, Jesus, that you've walked with me in the ups and downs of life and the seasons where I have neglected you and forgot about you. You've never left me. You've never forgot about me. You've never let me go. And I pray for my friends here this morning, each one, no matter where we are in our journey with you, Holy Spirit, that you would make aware in us, that you would give us a personal revelation, that the Spirit of God would give us a revelation of wisdom and understanding that we may know you better. We know you better. And that in that knowledge with you, God, and in that relationship of understanding and that, that knowledge of God, that relationship that you've invited us into, God, that it would compel us to give you our life. It would compel us to trust you for you are good and trustworthy. You compel us to be, allow ourselves to say, I surrender. I give you my life. I die to myself in order that my, I may live for you and live in you. I want to be a new creation. Well, I hope that message was an encouragement to you today. I want to challenge you to stay tuned and take a listen to Sunday Encore, where we have a more candid conversation about the practical application of Sunday's message.